<laughs> Let us pray. Lord, we thank you for the fourth Sunday of Advent. And today we look at the second Advent, your second coming. And it paints the full picture of who you were before time and as you stepped into time as the child and then what we wait on even today. And it gets us ready for the coming of Christmas in just two days time. But as we talk about something we don't naturally like to think about, we ask that you open our hearts, minds, bodies, and souls so that we realize as much as we can the full reality of your glory. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. So that's we, the scripture you have in front of you is 2 Peter 3, 1 through 13. But we're going to do a little work before we get into that. And I'm even going to read some uh, a little bit out of Revelation to, to get us in touch with the second advent, the second coming of Christ. But just a little bit of recap of where we have been in, in the rector's form in the season of Advent. And then as that finishes today, um, what we have really done is covered the the person and the work of Jesus Christ. And we did that by looking back at some of the narrative of the incarnation. And we just marveled at different attributes of God within the Christmas narrative. Uh, we celebrate uh, coming up on Wednesday and for some of us Tuesday evening, a sort of birthday of Jesus as it's come to be known. But the reality is we can't just see it as the birthday as the baby in the manger. This is the co, co, Jesus as co-eternal with the Father. He has always been. He is an active agent in all of creation. And the, the incarnation was God putting on flesh, the Creator uh, putting on His creation and dwelling among us. And that's why He is called Emmanuel both in, our, in, in uh, worship, our Old Testament, as well as our New uh, Gospel, both say Emmanuel in history of that. And you'll be hearing a little bit of that in the sermon, or if you've already been there. So during Rector's Forum, we didn't want to just look back at Jesus as the baby. We wanted to consider the implications of Jesus coming for our lives then, in our lives in the day to day. And then in doing that, we looked at the different attributes of God and how we could apply those to our everyday life. And then we started Advent. Joe started us off by saying, looking at that attribute of God as deliverer. And not only was that true in the coming of before Christ and in the coming of Christ, but it is very true in our lives today. That the power of Christ made manifest in the gospel delivers us from sin and death. That was deliverer. Then in the second week, we talked about how the glory of God and how that glory works itself out then, today, and forever. And then we looked at God is worthy and how he is still worthy today. And what we said was necessary as we were walking through the days of Advent is that we needed to look back at Jesus. We need to marvel at how Jesus in Christ is through the Holy Spirit is manifest in our lives today. Then here and there, we looked at the return of Christ a second time. Not as the baby, but rather as the ruling king of the universe. Through the last three weeks, there's been a little of that sprinkled, but today, that is the main thing that we consider. We don't just look back 
or look at how God is made available to us today, but we also consider that He is coming again. And everything that we will do, how we celebrate Christmas over the 12 days or longer, it's a shadow of the thing that is coming, but it's not here yet. One day we will know the full substance of God coming again. But so everything that we have is a shadow of that substance that is coming, the return of Christ as King. So to help kind of set the backdrop before we look at five different points out of the scripture you have in front of you, I'm going to read a little bit of Revelation 19. And this is done specifically to jolt us as we are in these final days of Advent and we've got the baby in the manger. I can't tell you the live nativity, how it just helped deepen my Advent as just kind of getting to walk through it and not just be a part of it. Just see, especially the, the youth. And then the scene with the, just the little realistic looking baby Jesus and Mary and Joseph and everything. My mind was all in on that. But right now, the scripture we're going to have is take us from there and paint the picture of the ruling king, the Messiah that comes back on the, the white horse stallion with all that imagery in Revelation. But it's very natural for us. We think of Jesus as being born. He lives he dies, he's resurrected, and then he ascends. And for a lot of us, that, that is where most of our spiritual life and study and, and practice and all of our prayer reflects around. But in the second coming, we don't uh, create space in our minds what Jesus will actually look like upon that second return. And that's what we are hoping to do all throughout Advent. Look to the past Look to today and then look to what is coming in the second advent. To be reminded, we do this every Sunday. To, we are reminded of the gospel in word and sacrament, and it is food for the soul of the believer. And we're never going to stop preaching and teaching the gospel. But with that being our theme, um, and as we hit on it every week, we now look forward to the return of Christ or the time in which grace, mercy, and forgiveness has been offered for a long time over and over. And Christ steps into the way, or as I say, it's offered over and over. There's that time when grace, mercy, and forgiveness, that offering to us on the second coming of Christ will come to an end. Have you ever considered that before? We, that's the part we love. Thinking about His love, His mercy, His grace. And all of what I'm talking about actually is His grace. And we're going to be looking at that. But there will be a time when it comes to an end and then we see the attribute of God as the judge of the world. Kind of a sobering thought. Isn't it? We love, we, we love the grace. We love the mercy, the forgiveness. But there will be a time when that is fully realized in the second coming and God becomes judge of the world. And that's a scary version of Jesus that, you can, that most of us like to block out and not even deal with. It's one that we don't even like to think of. This reality is we can't separate. And I think uh, Joe said it in the opening of Deliverer. We can't separate love and wrath. But I'm going to bring it home in a gracious way. You, to love something deeply is to have the possibility of wrath. 
I didn't know this until I had, I, I, I knew it a little bit when I married Ashley. That was more about my realizing my own selfishness in my life. Like, oh my gosh, I'm a lot more selfish than I thought I was. But when I had my kids, now, as I say that, to love something deeply is to have the possibility of wrath. It was the first time in my life I actually had the physical or the, the thoughts, if someone ever harmed one of those kids, I'm going to go full Moses on them. <laughs> you know, I mean, it's the first time I was like, I, I am capable of that. To love something deeply is to have the possibility of wrath. With God, you cannot separate wrath and love. They come together. But we're going to talk about, and this just paints the full picture of our Advent coming full circle. And it's the backdrop to our joy that comes with the Christmas season. So Revelation 19, starting in 11, says this. Then I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse the one sitting on it called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes are like a flame of fire, and on his head are many diadems. And he has a name written that no one knows but himself. He is clothed in a robe dripped in blood, and the name by which he is called is the Word of God. And the armies of heaven, arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, were following him on white horses. From his mouth comes a sharp sword, sword with which to strike down the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God the Almighty. On his robe and on his thigh he has a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Now that's a long way from the baby in the manger, right? What? dripping blood on a robe, a sword, the big white stallion. Well, this is what we consider at the second advent and the return of Christ. The plea of God to the world to repent and believe and find forgiveness and wholeness and, as in, and life. And now there's a sword coming out of his mouth by which he will judge the nations. His eyes are filled with fire and he has come to tread the winepress of the wrath of God Almighty. In light of the return of Christ, I wanted to read that to just kind of set that set the tone for us to ask a few questions. In light of that return, second return, how are we to think and how are we to live? What should we consider in the light of the fact of the second advent of Christ? Well, that's where Second Peter that you have in front of you comes in. We're going to pull five things out of that Second Peter text, verses 1 through 13. Let's read that. Verse 1. This is now the second letter that I am writing to you, beloved. In both of them, I am stirring up your sincere mind by way of reminder. That you should remember the predictions of the holy prophets and the commandment of the Lord Savior through the, your apostles. Knowing this, first of all, the scoffers will come in the last days with scoffing, following their own sinful desires. They will say, where is this promise of his coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all things are continuing as they were from the beginning of creation. For they deliberately overlooked this fact, that the heavens existed long ago, and the earth was formed of water and through water by the word of God, 
and that by means of these, these waters, the world that then existed was deluged with water and perished. But by the same word, the heavens and earth that now exist are stored up for fire, being kept until the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. But do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years as one day. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promises, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and then the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed." Since all these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you be in lives of holiness and godliness, waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved, and the heavenly bodies which melt as they burn. But according to his promise, we are waiting for a new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. So the first thing to consider Number one out of five points, we must work to remember. Look back in verse one. This is now the second letter in Second Peter. This is now the second letter that I'm writing to you, beloved. Why? In both of them, I am stirring up sincere mind by way of reminder that you should remember the predictions of the holy prophets and the commandments of the Lord and Savior through your apostles. I am writing you again a second letter to remind you, to help you remember that the holy prophets said and what the Lord told you through the apostles. This is the first point. We must work to do or to remember. Let's have an honest conversation. How often do we forget? <laughs> I, I, I know I'm, I either tend to, there's so much in the life of faith that it, there's some things that you, our minds just can't fully remember. Or on the other, other side of that coin, we actually get to the point where we, we learn something and then we become entitled by it. So maybe we don't have to remember it. There's t- different ways that that plays itself out. But we must do the work of remembrance. And our default setting a lot of the time is to take something for granted or to not remember it. One of the purposes of Scripture is to remind us of the faithfulness of God through all time and to tune our hearts into the reality reality that Christ is coming again. We kind of see this in a pattern. We remember. We remember that He has been faithful. We remember a Messiah was promised and a Messiah was forgiven or given. We remember there was going to be an atoning death and there was an atoning death. We remember that there was a resurrection promised and there was a resurrection given. And we remember the gospel was going to spread throughout the whole world. And that happens today in front of our eyes. The gospel is still spreading. If all of that we have known or see, we are promised a return in the consummation of all things. And we will get a return. We read and remember, but we also know from human experience it will be 
a fight. We actually talked about this in a, in a small staff meeting this week, just how one day in the lived out in a life can, can just melt into the next one. We've been kind of jokingly, but a little serious, talking about when Advent started. Can you believe it's just flipped November, and here we are heading into December, and then Christmas came like that? Well, we can fast forward that a little bit, and for how many of us, summer will be here like this. And then we'll be talking about, oh, how fast did summer go, and school is back. And it just, if we're not careful or mindful to do the work of remembrance here in our lives of faith, one day can just melt into the other. And our lives can become that where we don't ever feel settled or joyful. And then if we're not careful, one day we just die. Living after that life of one day just folding into the next and just not ready for how fast things come. It's just that uh, the day melts into one day, but that's why we do the work of remembrance to, to help us deepen our advents and the, just knowing the full glory, mercy, and grace of Christ. That leads us to the second point. It's important to really remember that he is returning because we see uh, in verse three there in front of you, there will be animosity towards those of us who believe in his return. Knowing this, first of all, they're called scoffers. To scoff is to mock or to ridicule. Will come in the last days with scoffing, following their own sinful desires. They will say, where is this promise of his coming? Forever since the fathers fell asleep, all things are continuing as they were from the beginning of creation. For they deliberately overlooked this fact that the heavens existed long ago and the earth was formed out of water and through water by the word of God. And that by means of these, the world then existed and deluged with water and perished. But, that, but by the same word, the heavens and earth that now existed are stored up for fire, being kept until the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. So we already talked about remembering the promises of God. And remembering how faithful he has been in those promises. And, and that he will come again. That's important because there will be plenty of scoffers. You probably have experienced it yourselves. As you open up and people may ask you questions or you share. And somebody just ridicules you. Or scoffs that you actually believe. You, you actually think Christ is going to come back? And you say, well, yeah. And, you, and maybe you have a conversation about it. The first thing, uh, if you've ever, you've, you have, I know we all have experienced something about that, but as they mock, they are, and it says in, in, this, in there in verse 3, that they are pursuing their own sinfulness. When they get a hint of the lordship of God, they get a hint of the path of life as the Bible unfolds it. And all the commands of God are actually meant to lead us to the fullest possible life. God is most glorified in our gladness of him. But scoffers and mockers, their fundamental posture towards the word of God is just to say, let me, let, let me show you why it's wrong or to look at it through eyes of error. But the posture of one who believes and ones that study scripture, it, it's kind of like this. I don't know that I can make sense of it. 
but I'm going to believe this is right and I'm going to figure it out. I'm going to dive in. I'm going to dig around. I'm going to study individually and with others to see what the Word of God is. The difference of how scoffers or mockers approach Scripture is looking at it through eyes of error, just trying to prove it wrong. But for those of us that, that dive in by faith to be revealed by God, is that we may not ever fully understand everything that is in Scripture, but that's how we, I'm going to believe it and press in, even if I, our minds are going to doubt naturally, as we can only comprehend so much. But that's the difference in how someone that is against it or scoffs others that believe in it and those that approach it and press in with their lives of faith. We remember because oftentimes we might be surrounded by, by scoffers and in the future, we know as in our society, just all the fights, all the division that we see, there is probably more of that coming. And this actually helps in our advent and thinking and preparing for the second advent that we know there is going to be more of that, unfortunately. But I know, <laughs> I also know in my life, we're, we are a long way now from the first century. I mean, as we say in Scripture and in liturgy, a lot of times, the, especially in Eucharistic prayer B, the last days. The followers of Christ in the resurrection then thought the last days would, maybe a week, maybe a year, you know, somewhere close. Here we are all these years later, 2,000 some odd years later, and we're still waiting for this promise. But... Here's the third point. As we do that, that waiting in our minds sometimes can say, really, 2,000 years, how much longer do we have to wait? Well, we see as a third point in this text, the nature of God and the plan of God revealed. Verse 8, look at verse 8. But do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years and a thousand years as one day. The Lord is not slow to fulfill His promise as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. Now what that just said is, to the Lord, a day is a thousand years and a thousand years in a day. For us, we are finite. We are inside of time, which means we can hardly have a conversation without a reference to time. I, things like, what did you, when did you get up this morning? What time did you wake up? What time are we having lunch today? What time are you coming over to see me? What time does the game kick off? All of these are questions about time that we all know and live on the day in and day out because you and I have to be as finite creatures defined by time. But this is not true about God. God is out, outside of time so that the present and the future aren't just things that He knows about. They are places that He is in. So past, present, and future are definitions for you and I. For God, it's just a place where He is. You count it as, as slow as 2,000 years in our minds, how we see time, but that's because we're finite. And 
And we see time in a way that's different than the way God sees and understands time. Then on top of that, he says, let me tell you why God has restrained the second coming. God has restrained the wrath that we have talked about and the judgment that will be poured out on the earth because he is patient and longs for all to come to repentance. He's not being slow. He has a plan to rescue and ransom men and women from every tribe, every tongue and nation on earth. His wrath is being held back as his glory spreads. His wrath is being held back while all of those purchased by the blood of Christ are gathered. He is saving all over the world as we speak. He's rescuing. He is ransoming. He is calling people to himself. For those of you that are jostled, every now and again I am as well, by the idea of the return of Christ and the wrath of God being unleashed on humanity, it's hard for us to see how that is a loving God. But thinking of it in in that lens of, of the cross, and now he's holding back time so that more work by the Holy Spirit can be done on the hearts of people. I know as we say that, we probably have someone in our everyday lives that we pray for. And we ask, God, come to them. That you would know, that they would know who you are by faith. Know your grace. Know your love. This is what that is for. In this period of mercy, and before that judgment comes, it's one more heart. One more heart being changed by God. And it is our loving God that is coming after all of us and sustaining All of us. That leads us to a fourth point. There's a day coming when all things will be made new. Look at verse 10 in front of you. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. And then the heavens will pass away with a roar. And the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved. And the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. Now jump to verse 13. But according to his promise, we are waiting for a new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. When the Bible, the scripture here uses the word new, it's talking about a refinement, a total refinement, a burning away of what is wicked so that what is left will be completely pure. That is what is coming in the second advent of Christ. The great and glorious day of the Lord is about a melting away of all that is unrighteous. As looking back into some different areas of Scripture, Isaiah 35 tells us, and we we preached on this a few weeks ago, the desert shall bloom with roses. Amos 9.13 says it this way, the plowman shall overtake the reaper and the mountains shall produce sweet wine. Isaiah 65 says there will be no more sounds of weeping heard on the earth. And the day of God's people shall be like the days of the trees. On the earth, the lion and the lamb shall lie down together. Isaiah 11 says it this way. No one will hurt or destroy anything in all of God's holy mountain because evil and wickedness will be vanquished into the lake of fire. Habakkuk 2.14 says the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of God like the waters cover the seas. This is what is coming at the second advent of Christ. A remade heaven and earth 
where there's no longer any sound of weeping, where there's no longer any death or disease. There's no longer any of those things. And that is the day we look forward to. Where in the, broken, the brokenness we all know within and around us will all go away and be made new. One of the ways we remember as we do life in a broken world, the brokenness reminds us this day is to come. I had to remind myself um, there will be one day where I don't have to do another funeral. There'll be a, a, there will be a day when I don't have to do another hospital visit. And that, that's a very real part of Joe and I's work and a number of you that walk with us in doing the, the pastoral ministry of the church. But there will be a day when we don't have to do that anymore. The fifth and final point for today, in light of everything that we have talked about, what sort of people as we wait, as we await this second coming, the second advent of Christ, what sort of, how should we live our lives? What sort of people should we be? Look at verse 11. Since all things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you be in lives of holiness and godliness? waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved, and the heavenly bodies will melt as they burn. When the Bible talks about the great and glorious day of the Lord, the second coming of Christ, there are really two kinds of themes which normally pop out of it. One is stay awake, and the other is be alert. And it's a weaving into our lives, a remembering and fighting for being awake to the fact that he is coming again. What is happening in the text that we have read at the coming of Christ and knowing that he is coming, we are alert. We are staying awake. We are not falling asleep and we have not forgot, forgotten. And as we remember in the ways that we live our lives of faith over and over again, there is a seriousness about holiness. There's a seriousness, seriousness about learning the depths of His grace. And there is a type of thinking in one day, in, in the day in and day out of our lives, uh, that we, we don't have to be as disciplined as we might find ourselves now, or when we're not disciplined at all. There will be a time when God will come back for us. And so we will know it as we stay awake and prepare. And then a very simple command, actually jumping to Hebrews, that we, we probably know this one well, chapter 10, verses 24 and 25. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. How are we to be until the second advent? Let us consider to stir one another to love and good works, not, to, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some but encouraging one another. And all the more as we see the day drawing near. Let us all consider in this season of Advent, and as we really get to, as we know, it, at least in mind, a picture of the full glory of God that we have looked at in the past, in the day-to-day -day that we live every day, and what we have to hope for in the future. Let us consider the day is drawing near. We're closer than we have ever been. And let us consider how we might stir one another up 
to love. Don't put good deeds first because good deeds are actually an action based on love. Uh, love, isn't, love isn't static. Love is always moving us. And how do we encourage, stir up love in the hearts of the people we speak life into them? Then it goes to say, and I don't, I love this, don't uh, neglect getting together. What a great command that is for all of us as we remember. Don't neglect gathering together like there's something. There is something profoundly spiritual that occurs when the people of God gather together and we let the word of God and the sacraments remind us and, and as we sing and pray to the Lord, there's something very uh, formative that happens as we gather together. Remember, the day is coming when we don't have to wrestle any longer. Amen. Amen. And Merry Christmas. <laughs> that brings us... Uh, to a close and wanted to see if any of you had any thoughts or reflections on second Peter or revelation 19 or uh, the second coming of Christ in general. Jesus, Jesus did not go into hell to, to provide himself to others for redemption of others. He took the sins Correct. to hell with him. Correct. Okay. okay. Yeah. What does Susie say? I think Oh, she, Susie said that Jesus didn't go descend into hell to, to save the people that were already there, but took the sins of the world there to lead them, and that, so we would have to deal with them no more. That, that's what the statement she made. One of the greatest things, I think, is we can believe and trust in is the Holy Spirit's work within us. We don't have to do it all. Mm -hmm. his, his inspiration and His Spirit will keep us on point if we surrender to Him daily. So freeing, isn't it? <laughs> Any other comments? Yes, Paul? If, I mean, those of us that believe, how can you believe and not believe in all of it? Mm -hmm. And even though we don't understand all of it. Mm -hmm. But that's the faith that God gave us to go forward. And believing in faith, having faith, believing in something that we haven't seen yet. Yep. But I, uh, I can't take the Bible apart like that or say the birth, the death, the resurrection, and then coming back, you have to believe all of it. Hmm. The way I, I believe. What was that? It, it, Paul said, the, it, for a believer, not just believing parts of the, of the biblical story all the way, but believing everything. Yes. So both incarnation from, from, from a virgin and that prophecy and how that happened all the way to uh, what we're talking about now, second coming. There, you know, even though we might struggle, with some of it, but that's what we talked about it between the mind of the scoffer and those that don't believe and the mind of the believer pursuing into it, even though we know our minds might wrestle with some of it, but that's why we dive into scripture and have each other um, for individually and, and together. So great point. Tom? I think one of the things that talks gives everybody hope is that in this Christmas season, we not wanting any to perish, all come to repent. Yeah. There is hope for all those who Yeah, that that's the saving grace, if you will, of the you know the, the all that imagery of the the blood 
and, and that's all that's all there for that reason is to say but that none would be lost yeah yeah any final thoughts five points was make sure I say it right we we must work to remember uh, it's important to really re remember that he is returning Third, what we see in this text is the nature of God and the plan of God. Four, there's a day coming when all things will be made new. And five, in the light of all things, what short, sort of people should we be? All right. How about we pray together and then you can either get on with your day or go to church, whatever if, uh, is next for you. May the Lord be with you. Lord, we thank you for the great gift the liturgical season of Advent is for us all. And as we have looked to the past, to today, and what the future holds, I ask that it really it makes us take a look at you and your work. And as we consider ourselves and where we are in your work and in relationship to you. And as we, over the next 48 hours, complete another season of Advent, but let us always pull us out of that mundane one day, one, one day just melding into the next and let us know the great gift that has been given to us, both in the manger and how that child grew up and died for our sins. But thank you for the opportunity to dive into your word together, to look at your attributes, and let it deepen our celebration of the coming of Christmas. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen.